Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is uh, Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and today I'm excited to have Rainian Bobin, uh, who is the Managing Director of Farnam Street Blog, as well as the primary author of the Great Mental Model Book series. Uh, uh, Rainian lives in Ottawa with her husband and two boys. She loves writing fiction, uh, a good glass of wine and uh, and circus aerials on the high trapeze. Uh, Rainian has done a bachelor's in philosophy and drama for Queen's University. Welcome to the show, Rainian. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, um, I, I was I was searching about uh, about what you've done, and it looks like you know you you work for Canadian intelligence agencies. So, how did you get to work for uh, the intelligence <laughs> agency? Yeah. So, you know, that's an that's a an interesting story. When I many years ago, when I was doing a master's in international communications, I thought that I would um, I went over to England to do it, and then I thought I'd go home to Toronto and work in public relations, uh, which seemed to be what a lot of people did with a communications degree. And while I was there, I had, I took one course on propaganda and psychological operations. And it's like this world opened up to me that communications are everywhere. Everybody does them. And so in that moment, I decided that I was going to do a very different sort of communications. And I researched different agencies and organizations in Canada that do communications for military or intelligence purposes and I applied and I got in. Very nice. And, and how long were you working in the agency and, and what kind of roles were you, were you doing there? Uh, I worked there for just over 10 years. Um, I always worked in operations. So intelligence operations are usually divided roughly into two groups. You have your defensive operations and your offensive operations. Uh, I did time in both, but primarily defense, um, which was because we're in the internet age, which was involved protecting the systems of importance to the government of Canada. Got it. And, and you know, uh, of 10 years into agency, how do you get into Farnham Street? Well, so Shane and I, uh, Farnham Street's founder, Shane Parrish, we worked at the same agency <laughs> and we worked on okay. a lot of operations together and we started a friendship. I mean, we were friends first and we were both interested in similar topics. We were facing similar challenges at work and we used to get together for lunch about once a month to talk through it and learn from each other and each other's experiences. And then um, when he decided to to really devote himself and pursue developing Farnham Street, I was also ready for a change. So he took a chance on me and here I am now. Interesting. Uh, I also realized that the others from the intelligence agency were also part of the Farnham Street. Uh, let me think about that. No. Oh, no. Okay. No, Got nobody it. directly. I mean, there's um, our, our CEO, Alex Duncan, right. he worked for the Canadian military and he was in the special forces. Oh, okay. So a related field for sure, but not directly from the same place that Shane and I were. Oh, okay. Correct. And, uh, you know, uh, from uh, intelligence agency into writing. So how do you get your interest in writing? So my interest in writing goes back for as long as I can remember. To be completely honest with you, I have been interested in telling stories since the beginning of me. Uh, and writing just seemed like the best, most interesting way to communicate those stories. 
I would often read books and get unsatisfied with the characters or the plot or the ending and then decided, you know what, I needed to do this for myself. So writing is, was a hobby for many, many years and it served as the backdrop for a lot of what I did. Uh, and then in my job specifically, when I worked at the intelligence agency, believe it or not, there, there is a lot of writing. I, I had jobs that were in policy and communications that involved crafting um, specific documents and types of work targeted to specific audiences. And although maybe not creative in the traditional sense, the writing I did there taught me a lot about accuracy and precision and how to be very effective with communications. Um, so it, yeah, yeah, so sorry. I was just going to say it worked out well that I was been practicing in various ways, looking at various forms and types of writing over the years. And then when I started at Farnham, I dived right into it and have significantly grown. Interesting. You know, uh, I've been, I've been writing for, 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 uh, for quite a while, but uh, it's just that, you know, I started a podcast two years back and uh, some of the podcasts are done better than the blog. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> do you have any, any advice for me on how to write better or, or, or even for, uh, uh, for bloggers who would want to, you know, get more impact because there's a lot of content outside and uh, I thought podcast would be a different way to differentiate myself. So uh, any, any advice for me on how to write better? The best advice I can give you is find somebody to give you educated, critical feedback. That is one of the main reasons that I've seen my writing progress. Well, at Farnham Street, all of our pieces we have edited and I've learned so much from that editor in terms of sentence structure, organization, grammar, what grabs people, how words flow. So that is a, a, a sort of an easier thing to do if you can find somebody to give you some outside feedback that could really help. Interesting, you know, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about getting an editor myself. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, so, you know, uh, how does Farnam Street decide on, you know, what blog post to publish? You know, you've been very careful about the kind of content which goes on to your uh, blog as well as on, uh, as well as when it comes to podcasts. Uh, are we careful about the, about the sort of content and, and, and the kind of blog post which can publish? So how do, how do you decide on what, blog post needs to be published out so that uh, yeah, there's only high quality content which is being published. One of the things we take really seriously at Farnham Street is that so many people in the world are facing a time crunch. We all have more right. things that we want to do and that we can do than the time we have usually. So we take it very responsibly that we are going to put out content that we think it worth spending time on. So it's content, first of all, that we've spent time on ourselves that we've done the reading, we've talked about it, we've thought about it to make sure that we think it's going to be valuable for people who read it. We also have a list of principles on our website and all content has to be run through those principles to make sure that we're meeting the commitment we've made to ourselves and to our audience. Okay, and, and uh, how, do you, uh, how did you grow to 1 million monthly readers uh, in such a short span? You know, I have, I find these questions really, really difficult to answer, right? Because one of the things that happens when you look at success stories is you get this survivorship bias thing happening, right? We succeeded. Right. So what did we do right? 
And, yeah. you know, are, were there, I'm sure, I'm sure there have been hundreds of other blogs who maybe started with similar starting conditions and didn't make it, you know, so what was no. the difference? Um, and so often the resulting list can be, you know, you get the necessary but not sufficient attributes, right? So we do some things I think really well. I think we have a lot of respect for our audience. We really try not to waste their time to screw it up. We have a diversity of offerings to give people multiple ways to interact with our content. And we really try to keep our content timeless so that at any point you can join our community, you can read an article that we put out five years ago and it's still gonna be relevant and it's still gonna be useful. Um, and I think so our approach kind of is more about principles than tactics, which is actually one of our, our principles that we live by. Um, if you have time for a story, there's this great story that we actually use in our second Great Mental Models book. One of the model is ecosystem. And there was this coach in the National Football League in the United States, Bill Walsh. And he took over the San Francisco 49ers football team. And when he took them over, they were horrible. I mean, they were worse than horrible. And in three years, they won the championship. They won the Super Bowl. And a lot of focus, a focus at the time, and even going forward was, oh, he developed this brand new West Coast offense, this brand new tactic. You know, that's what won them the Super Bowl. And so a lot of people tried to emulate the West Coast offense. And every coach who worked with him at some point, they were hired to put out the new West Coast offense. But when you read his story, when you read his books, and then people who've written about him, it wasn't the West Coast offense that won them the Super Bowls, right? It was the system that he put in place. It was a flexible, agile system that covered all components of what it takes to win. And if at any point, I have no doubt that if that West Coast offense wasn't working, he would have changed it up. He would have looked at what his system could produce because it could produce a lot of options. A lot of tactics came from those principles and then been able to, to continue having success in the league. So I think that's the, the approach that we take at Farnham Street. We don't worry as much about the tactics. The tactics can change. We try to make sure we have a system that will allow us uh, to adapt and give us the flexibility to respond to, you know, when the environment changes, which it inevitably does. Right. And, uh, and you know, uh, if I may ask, how many uh, monthly readers do you have currently? And, and how do you how do you monetize that, that content? Because lo- a lot of blog content is uh, free, but um, how do you how do you plan to monetize it on, on your website? Oh, well, we have a really fantastic learning community. And so it's a paid membership and you can join our learning community and you get access to some exclusive content. You get access to podcast transcripts and you also get access to this um, platform that uh, involves community conversations. And we have so many community members who network in there, who learn from each other. But it's not all about transactional stuff. We have amazing, like there's conversations right now on, you know, how do you find your signal in a world full of noise? And, you know, really respectful, interesting, deep conversations, thoughtful ones about, you know, how do you reconcile, let's say, uh, believing in a religion with being interested in science? And, you know, normally outside in the world, those conversations can get really contentious and, you know, not useful. And we've created this amazing community that's willing to explore those questions together and really learn from each other. Um, so that's an amazing part of it. We also run events. We have our rethink workshops on decision making and innovation. And, you know, 
those sell out. People really enjoy those. They get a lot from them and we enjoy doing them. It's a way to connect with our audience and to um, get more, uh, you know, instant feedback on the kind of work that we're doing, the kind of information we're sharing. So we have things like that. Got it. And, uh, you know, I recently uh, read your fantastic book, which is the great mental models book series, uh, the volume one. And, uh, I, you know, I was, uh, I've been part of startups and even though I've been part of some few uh, successful startups, I have, I've failed in, in, you know, raising funds. I'm in, in trying to get a product market fit for some of, some of the companies that I've worked for. Um, why do people, even successful one, have blind spots when they're trying to solve problems? Uh, and, you know, what is the best way to avoid, uh, avoid the blind spots and uh, avoid the problems? We all have blind spots because our perspective is inherently limited. I mean, that's just the reality. So if you think about the original terminology comes from when you're driving your car, right? So you're focused on the road and the laws of physics and the design of the car says that, you know, you've got these two blind spots on either side and what you do, even though you can't look at them all the time, you train yourself to check in every once in a while because you know that if you remember to do that, you're going to prevent problems. You're going to prevent accidents. It's a very similar situation when we're in our lives. So professionally, you know, you have a job to do. You have uh, outcomes to attain. You have performance agreement standards to meet. You have things that you need to get done. And that is what determines your focus. And your focus determines your reality. So what's really important if you want to um, identify and possibly compensate for your blind spots is to first remember that you've got them and everybody has them. So you shift your focus once in a while, you shift your perspective, you look at that larger scope, you go spend time with other people in the organization, see what's going on for them, see what their views like. And then for you, uh, deliberate learning, deliberate thinking, the mental models, I can't speak highly enough about mental models. I've noticed a change in my life, how I deal with problems, how I solve problems in advance because of the models that I now have in my repertoire. It's also really important to test your learning. It's not enough to just read a book and learn something and think you've got it. You have to get out there. You have to try it out. To be honest, you probably are going to fail a bunch of times, and that's really valuable too, as long as you take the time to reflect on your failures and learn from them. What did I do? What was my mindset going in? What are the choices that I made? Now that I know the outcome, what can I do differently? What were the flags that came up that I didn't see because they were in my blind spots? And that's kind of when you get into this lattice work because no one model works in all situations. So when you widen your perspective, then it helps to have even more models. To I, I think of models literally as like a lens. Like I imagine myself wearing glasses and I have these little lenses that I can pop in that kind of give me a different view of the situation. So you use those models and you look around at what's happening and you say, okay, what am I noticing now that I've got this new perspective that I didn't notice before? And then it's super important to write it down. Okay. So, so writing down and, and reflecting. So, so are you saying that um, somebody should keep a daily journal uh, or, you know, whenever somebody's trying to solve a problem or at the end of the project, they should write down and reflect that? Yeah, so I think it depends. I don't want to be prescriptive. I think it depends on what works for you in your life. We use um, a decision journal, and you can look that up on our website, the decision journal process. And I find it really useful when I'm making a big decision 
So, you know, there's a lot of transactional decisions you make in a day. You know, you can go ahead and make those like what you want for dinner. But if you're facing a really big decision and you know, and you're trying to get all the information, but you know, even with all that information, you really, there's so many parameters that maybe are outside of your control or that you can't get enough information on. You start that decision journal before you make the decision. So you say, here's the decision I need to make this is the thinking that went into it and this is what I expect to happen. And the reason you want to do that before you make the decision is you don't want hindsight bias to kick in later, right? Sometimes you make good decisions and they have bad results. And sometimes you make bad decisions and they have good results. And if you can't tell the difference between the two, you're not going to learn anything right? What you want to be able to say is, I made a good decision for these reasons. These are the results I got. How could they have been better? Or how could I have improved my decision-making process going in to get a better outcome? You absolutely don't want to be in the place where you're making terrible decisions and completely coasting by on luck, because that always runs out. Got it. And, uh, uh, you know, in, in the volume one uh, book, you talked about the, the nine mental models. Uh, so, so which are the, which are the ones uh, most people should be, should be aware about or, uh, and how many, how many mental models are you going to talk about in the next uh, following books? So we're going to have five books and those five books are going to cover just over 100 mental models. Right. And yeah, and I know that seems really daunting. I mean, it, when you first hear it, you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta learn all these hundred concepts. But what you'll find as you go through the books in general is there are certain themes that develop. Um, for instance, the concept of bottlenecks, right? It comes up in economics, it comes up in systems, it comes up in biology. So you start to see themes, you start to see patterns and trends with these models that then are reflected in your daily life. Uh, the nine mental models in volume one, I love them all. I would never say, oh, one versus the other. I do think that some are more useful for certain situations. So the best thing to do is look at the situations that you're in, read the book, and do the work to decide, okay, I can see how this model may really help me. Um, for instance, map is not the territory. It's kind of the meta model because models themselves are maps. And it's just this really great refrain to keep in your head all the time when somebody's giving you a report, when somebody's, when you're evaluating the success of a project, you can say, okay, what's the map here and what's the territory? What do I know from what's been communicated to me versus what do I, did I experience from being involved and being on the ground level? Um, if you're trying to improve productivity, you know, what's the difference between the strategy that's being communicated and the reality for the worker that you're you're trying to improve the strategy for and there's always a gap so that's just a really great model to have um, another really good one is inversion because it's super simple and this you know a lot of these also by the way are really useful for your personal life um, inversion is one I use with my kids all of the time you know you're in that moment as a parent where somebody's having a temper tantrum or you're having a fight and you just need to get out the door and your gut reaction is to just make it better right now just fix this moment to get out of it but what inversion can do and i should say the problem with that is you end up having those same moments over and over right you're fixing the immediate but you're not fixing the future and what inversion right. can do is you imagine okay what do i want my relationship 
to be with my kids to be like tomorrow or a week from now or 10 years from now. And then you, you put that in your brain. You're like, okay, that's what I want 10 years from now. I want us to get along. I want us to trust each other. I want us to respect each other. And then you work your way back and you say, okay, what do I need to do now? What can I do now to get to that goal? And so that's why I find inversion just incredibly useful because you, you, you imagine where you want to be. You imagine your, your success and then you work backwards and say, what do I need to do to get there? Got it. Right. Uh, uh, so, so interesting. And uh, you, you talked about these, these mental models, but, um, uh, you know, uh, you also uh, written in, in, in your blog that humans tend to be attracted to change and novelty and, yes. you know, uh, what, what, and what has happened with social media for, for millennials like me and for Gen Z's is that we, we are constantly bombarded by content on social media. And uh, so, and, you know, uh, uh, there's a concept of FOMO, uh, people are doing something and, uh, and, you know, everybody is happy, but, uh, that leads to a lot of, uh, irrational decisions. So how can one be rational and make rational decisions in this, in this world of, you know, uh, social media where we we're just bombarded by content, uh, everywhere. Right. Well, for me, uh, a great filter for social media is the signal versus noise filter. And there's a ratio in there. So how much noise do you have to sift through to find a signal? And a signal is just a, a, a communication of information that is valuable to you. So if you think about it in a physical concept, it would be like a ship crossing the ocean and they get to the coast of a, a new country and it's dark out and it's hard to see, but there's a lighthouse and that lighthouse, that's the signal. I mean, that's the most important piece of information that that ship needs at that time. And so when you're going through social media, what you're looking for are the signals. Um, I think that different people have different tactics for this. People look at ratios, how much they have to sift through. People implement their own filters to try to be deliberate about what they access. I think of it as a push-pull type of thing where I don't tend to consume what is pushed at me. I tend to consume what I pull. I mean, we all have friends and relatives that we love who, you know, document their entire lives on social media. And as much as I love them, to be quite honest, that is not useful for me in my life. So right. I don't, I don't look at what's pushed at me. I'm very deliberate about who I go read, who I go follow. Um, and I try to pull the content that I think will be most relevant for me. Yeah, I think I think what what has worked for me is to switch off on all notifications on my phone, and that has brought some sanity to me. Otherwise, you know, I was always looking at what new updates my friends are are putting up on the social media. Exactly, right. exactly. So it's yeah. not being thrown at you. Then it's it's up to you to make a choice in a moment to go look at what's happening. Correct, correct. That's that's how it should be. But uh, but uh, you know, when you talk about mental models, uh, you've got to talk about Charlie Munger. Uh, you know, he's yes. got to be the broadest thinking thinker in in modern uh, history. You know, but uh, Charlie talks about uh, you know to have uh, Charlie and Warren uh, talk about circle of competence. So you know, uh, how do you know you have a circle of competence? Con- uh, 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 competence, and how can one operate out of one? If, if you want to. Yeah, circle of competence is, is it such a fantastic model. And I think the only way you know you're, you're at least started to have a circle of competence is when you can be completely honest with yourself about what you don't know. 
And that sounds easy, but I think it's actually really difficult for people. You know, the more you specialize, the more you get experience, the more you try to carve out your niche about this is what I know and this is what I'm an expert in and nobody challenged me in this territory because I own this territory. It increases your value or it, at least you think it increases the perception of your value. Um, you know, when I first started working at Farnham Street, I thought, you know, I'm a good writer. I, I mean, everybody can learn more, but I'm a good writer. And when we first got, we got our first editor and she would send my articles back. And I mean, there were so many track changes and red ink and, you know, the instant reaction, and I think it's really normal is to say, what do they know? I said it better. They're just being overly critical. But then I was like, you know, wait a second. And, you know, Shane and I talked about it and it was like, what are we trying to get here? We're trying to get better. We're trying to expand our circle of competence. And part of that is saying, you know what? This person has a lot of knowledge that I don't. What can I learn from it? And even if it's just learning how to use a piece of punctuation better, that's still more than I knew yesterday. And so when you get to that place, I think when you really have a circle of competence, you start to get a lot more relaxed about what you don't know. Because when things come in, you can parse them a lot faster. You can say, yeah, I'm familiar with this. I understand this. I understand this. Oh, hey, wait, this is new. What don't I know about this? What can I learn about this? And how you operate in one, I think one of the best ways is to solicit outside feedback. And so that was like what the editor did for me on the posts, right? You go to somebody who has knowledge and experience in what you're trying to get better in. And then you get them, you get them to watch you work or evaluate a piece of your work and give you honest feedback. And that's also how you're going to find some of your blind spots. Interesting. You know, what I've also read is um, athletes um, have coaches and uh, some of the top performers have coaches. Do you think somebody like me or, or even uh, people, listeners who, who are listening to this conversation should have, um, you know, a, a coach or, you know, a, uh, somebody whom they look up to who can who can give them uh, feedback about their work? Absolutely. I mean, coaches are, they're great. And I think that's, I really do think that's how a lot of people get better. And now sometimes you can't afford to go out and hire an independent professional coach, but often you right. may have somebody in your circle who is willing to, maybe you could be a coach for each other, right? I mean, if you're developing a circle of competence in something that they're interested in, there can be a mutually beneficial relationship there to help each other out to further those circles. But yes, coaches are, the, the reason why coaches are so valuable is because they're that outside perspective. They're the person right. who standing outside the car saying, okay, this is what you're missing because this is what's in your blind spot. And that is just invaluable. Interesting. And, you know, to continue about Munga, I want to talk about the, uh, the Munga operating system because uh, he, he, he's phenomenal in the sense he talks about getting rid of envy, working people to admire. And, uh, uh, you know, so what would be the Munga operating system, uh, you know, listeners would want to understand? I think the most important thing that in relation to the models about the Munger operating system is that models are not isolated. They're a lattice work. And Charlie Munger talks about that a lot. They're a lattice work. They go together, they fit together, and they're used together. So when you think about learning the models, you can kind of think of it as a reverse funnel. You want to start with the ones that have the broadest applicability that are kind of going to cover more situations in your life. And as you learn them, you don't just learn them in isolation, you learn them and you fit them together. Because often you'll use one and it'll open up a door 
and then you'll find, oh, hey, this is another one that would be really useful to complement this. And then you work your way down to the more specialized models that may be more particularly useful in a situation that you're facing. But the Munger operating system with that lattice work is just, that's the single, I think, most important thing about the mental models approach is yeah. that they have to be used together. Got it. And, and uh, uh, also, you know, I want to talk about the, the Feynman technique and, you know, the best way to learn anything. And do you think anybody can, uh, anybody at, at whatever age, somebody in, into their 30s and 40s can also learn um, anything new? Or is it, is it just for people in, into their uh, teens who can, can learn uh, something? No, I think anybody can learn anything new. And I think it's really exciting to learn new things. I mean, to be honest with you, to write the Great Mental Model series, I have had to learn so much that I never knew. The second volume that's coming out in February is models from physics, chemistry, and biology. I haven't looked at a lot of that stuff since high school. So, and like, as part of the Feynman technique, you know, you want to be able to explain what you learn to a five-year-old. And that's kind of your measure. Like once you can do that, you can say that you really know something. And that challenge, it's an iterative process and it's super exciting. And it's also the way to keep your brain healthy, right? It's also the way to keep engaged with your life and what's going on is to take on and learn new things, to step out of your specialization, no matter how uncomfortable that makes you feel and try to augment what you already know with what, what's out there. Right. And, and do you think it, uh, it, it would take 1000 hours to, to learn something or do you think uh, somebody can hack their way into, into learning something faster? Because, you know, humans love shortcuts, but, uh, but do you think, you know, uh, I could do 1000 interviews in, in a year and become a better podcaster? I think it depends on the quality and the deliberate practice you put into that. I don't think it's just a volume thing. I think somebody could do a thousand podcasts in a year and not get any better, but somebody could okay. do a thousand podcasts in a year and with reflection and learning and a deliberate attempt at growth, then they're going to really improve over those thousand podcasts. Kind of interesting. And uh, so, you know, I, I quickly want to do the top three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Oh, yeah, these questions. This is great. So my favorite business book is The Goal. I know it's an old one, but I really, really like it. I find that it's super interesting uh, because of all that it teaches you, that it teaches you about economics, about systems, about productivity, so much interesting stuff. But one of the things I really loved about it is that it's set as a narrative. And so the guy, Alex, who you're, you're with him as he's trying to improve his factory, you're also with him in his life and his home and his marriage is struggling and he's having a hard time with his kids. And I like that because to me, that really reflects how we live our problems. I mean, problems never happen in isolation. If there's problems at work, you know, it bleeds over into the home. And so when we're trying to solve problems, we're, we're, we have to solve them in a, the greater context of our lives. And I thought the book did a really good job of portraying that. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, you know, if you could go back in time when you started your career, what is the one thing you would have focused on or, or done anything differently in your career? So if I could, knowing what I know now, if I went back in time to my early jobs, when right. I would have failures at work, and we all have them, um, I would tend to focus on what I learned in terms of tactics, right? So focus, like I had this job at a car dealership once that was terrible. It was a terrible fit for me. It was a terrible environment. But 
what I learned from it was probably, oh, don't work at car dealerships. And that really wasn't the lesson to learn, right? The lesson to learn, there were so many more things to learn about what I needed as an employee, what kind of environment I was well suited for, what kind of contributions I could make to an organization. So I think if I could go back in time, I'd be more deliberate about extrapolating from my experiences the principles that would have guided me to make better choices. Interesting. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack? I do. I have a favorite online tool to share with you, and it's one called Hemingway Editor. I don't know if you've ever used it. It's great. So what you can do, what I do all the time, is I'll paste an entire article into Hemingway Editor. And what pops up are all the times I've used passive voice or all the places I've used an adverb. And it's just a really instant, like talk about, you know, shifting around and and trying to improve your circle of competence. It's an instant feedback mechanism on where my writing could improve in that moment. And I find it extremely useful. I don't necessarily change everything to to fit Hemingway Editor, but it just is this um, alternate view that kind of makes me look in a blind spot, if you will, and helps me, helps me be a better writer. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just uh, want to know uh, what, what is the best way people can uh, get the, get the book, which is the, the great mental model of volume one. Oh yeah. It's um, you can get it on Amazon. We have an audiobook. We have a Kindle version. We have a hard copy that will be available at the beginning of December. It's just on a boat from Latvia right now. And um, we'll have the great mental models too in the same formats available in the, in the early new year. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And what is the best way people can reach out to you? Uh, where our contact information is online, but our email addresses are pretty figure, easy to figure out. So I'm just Rhiannon at fs.blog. Got it. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show and, and uh, talking about, about mental models and, and the book which has come out. Uh, I really appreciate speaking to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.